life is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all going to go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason. Texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I've got two witnesses in this room. Two boys that uh, I might have said a time or two, do this and do that. I know I said, don't come home without a job. So... Guys, it's good to see you today. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, I called my dad this morning. He, he and his wife are over in St. Petersburg, Russia, and so um, they stay there for four or five months out of the year, and uh, I called him this morning at 7.30. It's 3.30 in the afternoon over there when I, when I phoned him, but um, I thank the Lord for my father, and I thank the Lord for his um, leadership in my life when I was young, and um, you know, his desire to open the, tr- the truth of God's Word to me. My first commentary I ever received was from my dad. And uh, I just really, really appreciate um, him, and I love him. And I know that for some, Father's Day is difficult, right? I understand that. You know, when, I didn't understand it when I was younger. I used to always think, all these holidays, you know, you get up, say, Happy Father's Day, Happy Mother's Day, everybody's smiling, you know, about that. And as you get older, you realize sometimes there's pain attached to those things. So for those of you with the pain attached, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, I know this, that uh, our Heavenly Father never disappoints. And he's always there for us, and all of us can thank the Lord uh, that know him for our Heavenly Father who leads us and who guides us. Um, this morning, I wanted to just make a couple of announcements before we read some scripture uh, one of the challenges that we have before us is in regard to the building fund, and uh, we continue to pay pretty well on that, and um, we're just thankful. I think the total project was like three point something million, and we're down to 400,000. Uh, just thankful to the Lord for that, and we have a, a matching uh, fund challenge 
uh, and have had for a few weeks. And uh, in just a few weeks, we've collected almost $20,000. And that's not counting uh, today what the Lord may bring in for us. So we're just thankful for that. Uh, you keep that in mind. And um, I know for me, uh, and my mindset has been, Lord, help us to get this paid off. Help us to get it down. Because uh, we want to be able to support more missionaries and more ministry. Uh, we want that to be uh, our focus. So I just want to thank you so much for your faithfulness uh, to give to the Lord. We really, really appreciate it. also wanted to make mention of a couple of different groups this morning. Uh, just in being thankful. Uh, the Lord has blessed Grace with tremendous youth leaders. I was with him last weekend and with the students. Got to play paintball. That was so much fun. Have a bruise on my chest. I don't see Kevin and Lauren Barnett today. They'll be getting a letter in the mail um, about Connor, <laughs> who was beaming ear to ear after he shot the pastor. But um, if you've never played played paintball, it's fun. But uh, anyway, we had a great time, and just in observing kind of what went on um, with the youth leaders and the interns um, and the students. Um, the students are blessed to have leaders and interns who truly love them and care about them. And um, so if you're not a part of that youth ministry, uh, I would just encourage you to be. If you have a student uh, that's that age, 7th through 12th grade, Get them involved in that. It's just an opportunity, hopefully, just to support what you're already doing at home. And so I just encourage you to, to be a part of that. Youth leaders, we really, really appreciate uh, all of you guys. All right. And my wife even played paintball. We won't talk about that part. I said we won't talk about that part. Uh, another event going on this week beginning tomorrow night is Vacation Bible School and uh, Andrea Stovall is um, the children's director here at Grace and has been for a while she does a fantastic job uh, we really really appreciate her um, she, she was up here several times late this week and uh, she's just, you know, really trying to please the Lord in this. It's an opportunity if, if you're available to bring children here for them to hear the gospel of Christ. And um, for our own uh, young kids who are saved already, for them to be encouraged in their faith as they, can, as they begin their journey in life and serving the Lord. So we just really appreciate Andrea and all those who, are, who will be participating uh, this week in Vacation Bible School. You notice the decorations are up, right? I almost came up, and Ron and I were going to do a duet this morning. The hills are alive with the sound of music, but <laughs> we decided not to. So. You know, on Father's Day, a lot of times, um, just like Mother's Day, you'll have sermons that are kind of you know, geared toward that, and um, I think this one is, but it's in the context of Second Timothy, and um, I think it just goes really well with um, like a challenge for all of us as um, spiritual fathers leading our homes. Um, so I wanted you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I just want to read um, the section we'll be looking at this morning. And really it's just one verse, but it's kind of 
it's kind of a big time verse because it's really the last of his formal instruction. There's some personal things he gets into beginning in, in verse 9 of chapter 4. But this is really some heavy instruction for Timothy. And I, in case I fail to say this after a while, the primary application obviously was for Timothy and for pastors and those in ministry. Um, but I think there's a bigger application in terms of all believers who are in the ministry. I don't know if you view yourself that way, but, but if you don't, then you need to start that today. You're in the ministry. God's called you out to serve him for a lifetime. And so um, he's real specific. And uh, I think some would even view this as pretty harsh because he doesn't give him any w wiggle room. But what he does say to him is very, very critical in light of what's said in the context. So would you stand, please, as we read um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses uh, 3 through 8. Our concentration this morning will be on verse 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So he's warning Timothy about this. And look, that's in front of us today. Same, same warning. He says, um, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. That's a big deal. <laughs> turning their ears away from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. And then there's this strong language that he starts with in verse 5, but you, right? In other words, in contrast to, to these guys who are following myths, you <clears throat> be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Um, because he's talking about the fact that he's about to depart and be with the Lord. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is so much in there. A lot of food. I hope you're ready to eat some of it today. Let's pray uh, together. Lord, how do we thank you for being our heavenly father? You know, as an earthly father, um, you know, I would love to be able to say I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the reality of it is that as fathers... You know, we change. At times we're good examples for our children, and at times we're not. That's the truth. Um, but Lord, um, I pray for the men in here who are fathers, who are grandfathers, that you would, by your Spirit, give us the strength to live to your glory. And that our children and our grandchildren would see that Truly, for us to live as Christ. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be thankful that while we change as earthly fathers, you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as concerned as we are at times for our children, 
we do sleep and we do slumber, but my Bible tells me that you never sleep and you never slumber. So we thank you for that. I pray that while we're here on earth that we would take very seriously the responsibility as fathers and as grandfathers to be spiritual men who are in tune with what you have said. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here today who um, maybe need a bandage, a repair in a relationship with their father, that, Lord, you would just be gracious to allow that to happen. And, and Lord, there are some fathers in here today that might not be saved. We pray for those men. Uh, We pray for the ones in our families that, in general, that we're concerned about in relationship to their salvation. Lord, there's so many mixed messages today in our world that it's concerning to think about the generations that are coming up now and and getting married and, and starting homes. But Lord, we know that you're still in the business of growing your church. And I pray for faithful young men who would grow up and who would be godly men and who would lead their homes and who would take seriously the things that you have said to us. Lord, help this morning to be a great time of celebration, celebrating who you are. And I pray as we look at your word that you would help us, Lord, help us to be teachable, all of us, beginning with myself, that we would be teachable and and that we would walk away today challenged by what your word says to us. We love you. We praise you. You are the only one worthy of worship. So I pray that we're all ready for that this morning. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Bad mention celebration. Let's celebrate right now. Christ is our only hope in life and death. Let's sing this together, may we? What is our
found a resting place in Christ Jesus alone. Let's sing this together. is going to sing a song now. It is Father's Day. We trust our fathers and we know that our fathers has something always wonderful for us because he's always trying to support us. He provides for us. He loves us. That Father's Day is a special day. But every day is a special day when it comes to our Heavenly Father because he holds us. He sustains us. He keeps us. No matter what happens in our life, he holds on to us. And that's what this song is all about. I want you to listen to the words or read the words and listen to the choir as they sing, He Will Hold Me Fast. i 
The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. The love of God is greater far. Let's sing this together.
together and go to our Heavenly Father. Father, first of all, we're grateful that you've adopted us through the work of Christ, through faith, through your mercy and your grace. And we can only imagine what that really means. You've shown us so much of your mercy and your grace in the life of a believer that can rely on you as our Heavenly Father that's powerful above all. You created it all. You're master of it all. You have the wisdom and the knowledge to make things work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. <clears throat> and Father, knowing that, uh, I just thank you for your word and all that you show us about yourself as our Father. And uh, I'm grateful that nothing can separate us from your love, that we can rely on you in any situation we're in. Lord, in this country, many of us are very well blessed and are grateful for all the things you've, you've shown us and that you've given us. But, Father, most of all, I would pray that we will be faithful when times become tough, when we lose jobs, when we have family that are ill, when uh, there's conflict within our families or with other believers. We know that you're always there holding on to us and that we can rely on you above all. Father, I do want to thank you for the fathers <clears throat> that we have here on this earth. We know that you give them as examples of our relationship with you. And, Lord, our fathers on this earth are not always perfect. I know I wasn't, and I'm not. <clears throat> but I'm glad that you love us. I'm glad that you've given us <clears throat> examples through the word of how you would have us to live as fathers, to guide those that are underneath us. So thank you, Father, for them, for those fathers that love us, that care for us, that provide for us, and even thank you for the situations where it doesn't seem like they're doing their job. We thank you that you're always faithful above all. We pray for this day, Father, that as we go out, we think about you always, that we think about the fathers that we have in this world and that we express our love and appreciation to them, uh, that they were there for us, and that we can always rely on them as we rely on you. So, Father, we just thank you for all of this. We have many blessings. We pray for the service to come. But above all, your word and your spirit would work in our hearts and our minds to change us. That's what we need. So we pray for that and ask for your, your blessing as we go. But most of all, that all that we do will bring glory to you through the work of Christ. In his name, amen. Whether one is talking about a basketball arena where you have skyboxes 
or whether you're talking about a football stadium where you have coaches and even some fans in skyboxes, they have a different perspective than the ones on the field. Coaches on the field, in fact, sometimes make a transition one year to the next, being on the field and then going to the skybox because of the different perspective. They're able to see out and over in a way that they're not able to see on the sideline. Several coaches have made that transition. As you come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul has a different perspective than Timothy. He's in the skybox. He's seeing life completely different than Timothy is. Because Timothy's in the midst of the race. Paul knows he's at the end. He knows it. He has a unique perspective. In fact, the title of the message this morning is a view from the finish line. He's at the finish line of his life. Some of us will know that there may come an illness in our life where we're able to to live for a few weeks or months or even years, but we know that the time of our life on earth is short. That's Paul. He's at the end. In fact, in verse 6, what does he say? The time of my departure has come. And he gives Timothy really difficult responsibilities in light of the fact that he's departing. He's passing on the torch. He wants Timothy to finish well. He wants him to run the race that God has set in front of him. It's interesting, as I put this together, the outline that just fits so well with how one would run a race. You're going to find that the points that we make this morning, based on the word that we have in front of us in verse 5, just goes so well when you think about how a race is run. I want you this morning to do something for me. I don't want you to take this text and simply apply it to those in full-time ministry that are paid like pastors or missionaries. The immediate context, obviously, is to one who is pastoring and shepherding the church of Ephesus. But there's application beyond that for all of us because as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us are called to the ministry at salvation. He has bought us with a price. And so we are, as believers in Christ, to submit ourselves to him and say, Lord, whatever, wherever, I'm available. You good with that? (laughs) That's a big question. Because typically people live life thinking of, this is what I want to do with my life. Not necessarily, Lord, whatever you want me to do with my life, I'll do it. We expect the people that are sitting in the skyboxes to do the ministry. And we'll sit down in the crowd and we'll go to church and we'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But when it comes to saying, Lord, I surrender all, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do. 
That's pretty heavy. How many of you have done that today? I know that was a scary proposition for me, and I remember exactly when it took place. I was sitting on the front porch of the administration steps at Southeastern Bible College. I was 20 years old, 21 years old in that frame. But I remember where I was. And I said, Lord, I remember it was in the wintertime because from the front porch of the admin building, you could see out to the interstates. You could see 59. And I was like, Lord, I don't know where it is you're going to take me, but I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And I thank the Lord for my wife because tomorrow is our anniversary. She's been blessed to be with me for 36 years tomorrow. (laughs) Maybe some of you would look at that a little bit different. But I'll never forget the day she came in the apartment in 1989 and she looked at me and she said, Dad, I'll go wherever the Lord calls you to go. You know, that ought to be the mindset of everybody that's a believer. Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Well, Paul had a unique calling in his life. We know that going back to Acts. Timothy had a unique calling in his life, and we know that going back to the book of Acts. Paul was at the finish. Timothy was still running hard. And in light of that, Paul gives him instruction that's very, very practical, but very, very difficult. And you know what? It was not just for Timothy. And it was not just for others who were committed to Christ and the gospel. It's for all of us. All of us need to have these four things in our lives. Verse 5 says this, but you. And remember what we just said a few minutes ago. There were some, he says, there will be some that turn away from the truth. And turn aside the myths, but you. It's like he's pointing his finger in his face and saying, you. And isn't that love, really, when you think about it? Sure is. People don't necessarily view it that way. Hard instruction from the scriptures is not necessarily viewed as wonderful or great benefit. Or, you know, this is in love. But it was. It was in love. And Paul tells him four very critical things in relationship to the ministry. The first thing he tells him is to keep a clear mind. Timothy, you be sober in all things. The word sober literally means free from drunkenness. Uh, When a person is intoxicated, they do not have a clear mind. Their mind is being controlled by a substance. It begs the question that I don't have in my notes that the Spirit just gave me. Who's in control of your mind? Who's in control of your mind? That's a very important question. In fact, Paul addresses, I believe, somewhat of that issue in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And as a believer, that's the responsibility that is before us. And so he says, you be sober in all things. Um, it means to keep alert. It means to be aware. 
It means to be watchful. There's a time in the life of the disciples where the Lord asked them to remain alert. You remember back in Matthew in the 26th chapter, you can turn there because I'm going to read a few verses. The Lord asked his disciples to remain alert, to keep a clear mind. In a time where the Lord Jesus was going through tremendous agony, in the context of the passage in Matthew, we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 36, it says this, And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Remember, this is right before his crucifixion. He took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and what? Keep watch, remain alert, remain aware. That's what he's telling them. With me. Verse 39, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them doing what? Praying? No, sleeping. And said to Peter, so you, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. Agreed? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. What did he ask him to do? Remain aware, right? Be alert, pray. It's really the same idea here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, look, Timothy, you need to be aware. You need to be alert. There are some that are turning from truth to myths. You need to be aware of everything that's going on. In the ministry, one of the things that's a challenge as a pastor is to see a few, but remember the whole. <laughs> right? I don't have the luxury of just being in a corner with a few. I have the responsibility as one of the shepherds to see the whole. Paul's telling Timothy, look, you need to have a clear, clear mind, a clear, clear focus you need to be prepared. You must maintain a clear mind. And the interesting part of this is that it's a imperative, present tense. You must maintain a clear mind all the time. That's the idea. You say, well, yeah, that's just the responsibility of a pastor. No. It begins there, but it's the responsibility of all believers to have a clear mind. 
to make sure we're not being so influenced by the world that we can't see the truth of the Word of God. You know, there's some questions that we could ask. I just have one. How many in the church today do you think are spiritually asleep? How many in the church, in terms of leaders today, do you think are asleep? There are a lot of things going on in our world. Wouldn't you agree with that? Things are moving to the right. Things are moving to the left. The question becomes, are leaders aware, number one, of what's going on in our world? But then the sheep need to be aware of what's going on in our world. You know what's going on in our world? People are moving further and further and further away from a word called truth. Are you listening to me? People don't mind speaking lies today. But the calling of a minister of the gospel of Christ is to speak the truth in love, not moving to the right or the left, (laughs) but standing firm on the word of God. Here's some practical takeaways as it relates to keeping a clear mind that I kind of wanted you to have uh, this morning. You can just think about them. And this is not just in relationship to leaders, but in context, this is what I wrote. When leaders are wobbly, the sheep are prone to fall. You believe that? Absolutely. Listen to me, leaders. If you're a leader here at Grace, people are looking at your lives. I know that's uncomfortable, but it starts with me. People are looking at our lives. So when the leaders are wobbly, the sheep are prone to fall. I have here, leaders must remain steady. They must remain steady, and they must remain steadfast. And when the world says, well, hey, look, you guys need to catch up. It's the 21st century, and these things that God said way back when, they just don't apply anymore. What should leaders say? Thus says the Lord. He's already said it. Second thing I wrote down, when leaders are anxious, the sheep may fall apart. There was a lot of anxiety this last year. Agreed? Leaders, this is a challenge to you. When there are things that are going on in our world that are uncomfortable or disturbing or may create anxiety, the Lord expects leaders to stand steady and dependent upon him. We're responsible for the sheep. And the sheep are looking at the shepherds. Um, be good to take the advice that was given by the Lord Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, verse 34, listen to what he tells his followers. So do not worry about tomorrow. How many of you would admit to worry? I think we all do that at times. Everybody's guilty, myself foremost. But look what Jesus says. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. And I love this next part. And there's some humor here. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? Amen. But the Lord doesn't want us to worry. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to rest in him. You know, we just can't control things. We want to. 
How many of you would admit we want to control things? Absolutely we do. We need to rely on the Lord. And so when there's times where anxiety is knocking on that door, as leaders we need to remain steady. As sheep, we need to follow the leaders who are remaining steady and dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, when leaders allow emotions to govern their thinking, truth may be compromised. How are your emotions? How would you illustrate your emotions? Up and down and up and down. Teresa and I went this last week hiking. Oh, it was fun. We, uh, we're going to be down in Louisiana this week. I'm going to be speaking at a camp, Camp Pearl. I grew up in the camp. I'll be speaking to uh, senior high students. So since our anniversary was going to be interrupted, kind of celebrating that, I said, look, let's just do early. Let's go to uh, Red River Gorge. And it was a surprise for her until, what was it, Monday, I told her, last Monday. I told her, this is where we're going. Went to Red River Gorge to Natural Bridge in Kentucky. Any of you ever been there? Be- hey, after you eat lunch today, you cook for your dad, you cook for your granddad, whatever it is, look up Red River Gorge, Kentucky, Natural Bridge. It's beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. But you know what? When we were there, there was a lot of ups and downs. We went on seven different hikes, and we would go up, and we would go down. And I remember one specific trail we were on, I said, hey, babe, I don't think there's any uphill on this. <laughs> we turned a corner, and it's like, oh, my goodness, uphill. We hiked approximately 12 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, on Wednesday, we, my phone said I took 16,000 steps. It was so much fun. Great, just to be able to observe God's creation. But there was ups and there was downs. That's how it is in our lives. There's ups and there's downs. So we can't allow our emotions to govern our thinking. We must allow the Word of God to saturate our lives so much that we say, hey, I know what my emotions are telling me, but this is what God has said. Here's some really good advice. It comes from the Word. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to his brothers in Philippi, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you want to overcome anxiety, remain in the book because we can trust the Lord. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that anxiety does not exist among the sheep or the shepherds because that does happen. But the question becomes, what's the medicine? What's the medicine? Is the medicine... Something I'm waiting on? I'm waiting to feel better? Or is the medicine the truth? The Word of God. I would say that the responsibility we have is to dwell on the Lord and on His Word. So I would encourage you as leaders and you as sheep, those who belong to the Lord, keep a clear mind. Because there are many battles out there today. And we need people with clear minds that can clearly point to the word of God and say, this is what God, and I like it saying it this way, 
This is what God has already said. We're not waiting on him to say something. He's already said it. So whatever the issue at hand is, we look to the word. Well, he tells Timothy, keep a clear mind, be sober in all things. And then he says, persevere to the end. Endure hardship. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hardship comes in various forms. Wouldn't you agree? Hardships can be temptations. Hardships can be illness. Hardships can be a loss of a job. Hardships can be broken relationships. Hardships come in various forms, right? They have different colors. Part of the hardship is persecution and suffering for the Lord. There are people around the world that are being persecuted and suffering physically because they stand on the Word of God. And as I've said a few times before, it's right around the corner here in the United States. It's coming. There's going to be a price to be paid for standing on the truth of the Word of God. The word endure here means to suffer through. And the idea is suffer through to the end. You know, don't quit. I mean, how many of you expect hard times in life? Right? You've experienced that. Young people, you may not have yet. I promise you they're coming. Hardships do come. But we have to finish. We have to move to the end. That's what Paul is is telling Timothy. He's saying, hey, look, suffer through hardship. And who better to tell him than Paul? There was much hardship in the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, Jesus, however, is the ultimate example to us of how to endure. I like Hebrews chapter 12, and this is part of verse 2. Look what it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That word fixing there means to concentrate. It means to narrow your focus. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him did what? Endured. He went through it. He suffered through the cross. He endured the cross. He endured the ultimate price so that you and I could be free. He endured to the end. He suffered through it. There's a video that I want you to watch. It's a couple of minutes long. I think it really illustrates really well what it means to suffer through to the end. So y'all watch this video. Tom Hammond and Craig Massback back at Olympic Stadium in Barcelona coming up to the men's 400-meter semifinals. Here are the lane assignments. Steve Lewis in lane three. Top four to Wednesday's final. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the backstretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redmond of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redmond is out. Derek Redmond, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race.
the British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semi-final in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. Olympic Stadium as Redmond with assistance this time approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. That is the Olympic spirit. I don't know maybe you're familiar with that story, but when I saw that, I just, Lord just put, you know, that on my mind. I'd seen that several times, and I was thinking, well, here's a guy who's in the semifinals, the Olympics, the 400 meters, which is one time around the track. What's his mind on finishing the race? I mean, he tore his hamstring. He didn't just pull it, he tore it. And as I was watching that again, um, I was like, you know, Lord, there's some good stuff there. Here's a guy who wanted to, to run through the pain and the hardship to finish. And another picture there that I thought was so awesome is that when his father came, I thought, you know, Lord, that's how it is for us. When there's pain and there's hardship and we're running hard, but it's hurting, you're there for us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You help us through, Right? It's not, in the Christian life, if we're just relying on our own strength, we're going to fail. But the Lord himself, listen to this, and Paul knew it, the Lord himself carries us through uh, to the end. Um, so he says, endure hardship. Um, and that happens in the ministry. I want to give you a couple of things to think about in relationship to hardship in the ministry. And remember, all of us that are believers are in the ministry. Okay, that has to be the mind. With ministry comes the enemy. Who's the enemy? Satan. He's the enemy. Um, our Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour. He is very, very busy today. And there are a lot of lives that are being destroyed in the church today by the enemy. He longs to damage the body of Christ. So with ministry comes the enemy. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God. You've got to put it on. <laughs> right? You're not going to win without the Lord himself. And the equipment that he's given us. And one of the big pieces of equipment that he's given us, obviously, is his word. So with ministry comes the enemy. With ministry comes people. 
<laughs> right? All you wonderful people. With ministry comes people. And with people comes, now listen to this, unrealistic expectations. I'm just going to let you think about these. I'm not going to comment too much on this. But with people comes unrealistic expectations. By the way, people are not afraid to place them on you, if you've noticed that. With people comes criticism. Some of it's constructive. Really depends on how it's delivered, right? I mean, it needs to be delivered in love. But criticism many times is just flat out harsh in the ministry. When I was in New York State, I had three ladies, not picking on the ladies, but I had three ladies chasing me down the hall saying, you can't do that. I was like, man, is there anywhere to go, right? Is there anywhere I can run? Is there anywhere I can hide? Criticism is part of the ministry. Um, I think one of the things the Lord has taught me over the years is that constructive criticism, it's good. That sounds crazy to you probably, but, you know, I've had people criticize me constructively, and it's helped. Boy, it hurts. That first little, you know, word they say, you're like, oh. But once you get over the gut, gut punch, and you just say, you know, Lord, they're pointing out something in my life that's blind. It's just a blind spot to me. And you know, we all need that. Now, I don't want you to come up to church all punching me in the gut, all right? I might punch you back. But the reality is that all of us at times need that person who's willing and love to come alongside of us and say, hey, look, have you thought about this? Um, but many times criticism is very harsh. With people comes conflict. I know you're surprised by that. But there's con- in conflict, I wrote this down. When I think about conflict, I think about lollipops. They come in various flavors. And so does conflict. It comes in various flavors. But it's going to come. It's going to happen. I mean, if you're out there going, I want to go into the ministry full time, I'm here to tell you there's conflict. And I'm here to tell you this. The only one that can get you through all of it is the Lord. He does a lot of things in your own personal life. I mean, if you're, if you're managing a ministry, if you're overseeing a ministry, there's going to be conflict. It's going to happen. The question becomes, how do I handle that conflict and keep my testimony? With people comes conflict. With people comes apathy. There's a lack of concern, a no-care attitude. That happens at times in the ministry. And then finally I wrote down here, with people comes self-centeredness. It goes like this. Don't you know the church needs to do this for me? Haven't you heard? Haven't you received the bulletin? Now, it is all about me. That happens in a church. We know it happens. These are hard things, but with ministry comes people. I will say this. There's a lot of joy in the ministry. All right? A lot of joy in the ministry. And you know, you can have joy even in the midst of somebody gut-punching you. You can have that. Because at the end of the day, it's not about any of us. At the end of the day, it's about the Lord. Um, One last thing. This kind of goes along with that. 
But with ministry come problems. They come in different shapes and different sizes. And I'll say this, that the Lord has taught me personally over the years two things about problems. Number one, I can't handle them. Number two, many of the problems that come up, he's already spoken to. He's already dealt with. I just have to go to his word and look for what he says. You know, there was a theologian that kind of summarized. He took most of the words from Paul's summary. But, you know, Paul had problems. He had a lot of suffering. You remember um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul summarizes some of that hardship. Listen to, to his hardship. He says, I was scourged. I was imprisoned. I was in situations where death could have taken place. I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Any of that sound good so far? I was shipwrecked. I was in dangerous journeys. I was among robbers. I received great opposition from my own people, the Jews. I was among opposition with the Gentiles. I was in cities where persecution arose. I was in the wilderness among wild beasts. I was among false teaching. I was weary from labor. I had many sleepless nights. I was hungry and thirsty. And I suffered from cold at times. Do you want to be in the ministry? I just wonder how many times when Paul was going through those things did he think about to me to live is Christ. Christ. It's Christ. Um, Wayne Barber writes this about the ministry. He says, There is no such thing as a faithful ministry that is not costly. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. You know, you might think, Well, no, that is going to cost you. You're the pastor. No, it's going to cost you. See, because if you say, Lord, yes, I want to be in ministry for you, it's going to cost you. It, it, it may cost, and I wrote things down like this, and I know it's hard, but it may cost you friendships. Might. Might cost you friendships. Might cost you financially. You know, you might, the Lord might say, hey, look, I want you to do this with your life. And you might be going, hey, Lord, I already had this worked out. You don't want to get a job that pays $100,000 a year. I want to save up so I can buy me a camper and I can buy me a boat. Aren't you on board with that? Remember there was a couple one time years ago, not here in Birmingham, years ago, they said, yes, Lord, we're going to do whatever you want us to do, and they sold their house. Right? They were going to sell their house. They did actually sell it. And a few weeks later, they made the decision that they didn't want a life like that. Somebody got in their ear. I don't even know who it was. They had already been before the church, and they said, hey, we are going to go to the mission field. And they backed away from that and said, no, we don't feel led to do that anymore. And I don't know. They might not have. But when you make a statement in front of a congregation of people, that's a serious thing. And a few weeks later, their house burnt down. Their life, and I'm not being judgmental, I'm just saying their life was different from that point on. It was never 
the same. Ministry costs. It costs comfort. It may cost friends. It may cost just relationships in general. I like what Wayne Barber says. That's just the truth. I remember Dr. Green years ago asked me to speak at Southeastern. And he, was, he had a group of guys in there, and all of them wanted to go into the ministry. And, and he gave me like 20, 25 minutes, and I led in this devotional. And then he said, uh, Dad, why don't you just take some questions? And I was probably mid-30s, mid to late 30s. I just started at Springville Road Pastoring. So all these young guys are in there like, hey, Thad, what's, what's the ministry like? So, well, it's tough. One guy's like, what, aren't you able to help a lot of people? Yeah, that happens. I remember this one guy in the back, he said, Thad, what kind of problems do you have in the ministry? I said, how long you got? See, in the ministry, there is hardship. You know, Paul said to Timothy, endure it, go through it. Thirdly, he says, put forth the effort. Look what it says in verse 5. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. That word work is the word uh, ergon. It means to put forth maximum effort. Put forth maximum effort. And in the Greek, it means... This is what I want you to do, and I want you to do it now. Now, there was obviously a difference from what we can see in the Scriptures between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Timothy was a timid man. Paul doesn't seem to be too timid to me. How about you? He seems to be forthright, right? And so he's telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. It's obvious he probably didn't have the gift of evangelism, but that's not an excuse. Paul did. But Paul tells Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. And it literally reads this way. And this is how Timothy would have received it. Do the work of an evangelist and start it now. Don't delay. Um, put forth that effort. Uh, this is what the Lord expects. Think about a race. A coach expects you to do what when you're running a race? Put forth effort. Maximum effort. When I was in high school, I ran the 400, I ran the 200, and I ran the 100. Um, my favorite race was the 200. The one I did best in was the 100. But the 200 was a lot of fun. You know why the 200 is a lot of fun? You get to run that corner. Man, there is nothing like it. You just feel like you're the fastest man in the world, which is not really true. But when you're running around that corner, you're just like, man, I'm taking this race. And you're putting forth all the effort, and when Coach uh, Youngblood coached me, he would tell us, hey guys, you got to go hard in the corner. And I was like, what does he mean go hard in the corner? I found out the first two or three races. You have to go hard in the corner, and not so hard to start. It's You want to get good out of the blocks, but when you're turning that corner, you got to go hard, and then you got to, but why? You got to make sure you're a part of that pack. You can't be out of that pack. And that's not like a two-minute race. It's like a 20-something second race. Right? For world-class athletes, it's like a 19-second race. And so he would say, run hard in the corners, put forth maximum effort. That's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. Hey, put forth maximum effort in spreading the gospel. 
Is that just for Timothy? No, that's for all of us. We need to put forth maximum effort in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about how people in the world think of that. Think for me a, mo- a minute just about the differences between Christianity and religion. Okay, I want to just read this statement I put down. Religion is about following lists of do's and don'ts. That's what religion is about. Hoping that it's good enough to enter into heaven. Christianity is about what? It's not about us. It's what God has done for us. That's what Christianity is about. It's about the price that the Lord Jesus paid for all of us so that we might have eternal life. By believing in what God's Son did for us on the cross. You ever done that? You ever said, Lord, I believe in what you did for me on the cross? I believe you paid for my sins. I'm trusting in you and you alone. There's a few things here about sharing the gospel, I think, for us that's important. Sharing the gospel requires sharing all of it. You know what I mean by that? You know, there's great news or good news, as we call it. But there's the bad news, and the bad news is that Man is separated from God because of sin. The good news is that Christ took care of that at the cross. You like that? I like that. And it's possible that we can have, that man can have relationship with God only because of what Christ did on the cross. Only because he shed his blood for us. Payment for the sins. In Scripture it tells us the sins of the whole world. That he paid for those sins. So sharing the gospel requires all of it. Um, even talking about man's condition. Which today is kind of offensive to people. But it's no different than it was back in Paul's day. The gospel was offensive then and it's offensive now. Um, sharing the gospel also means sharing it with believers and unbelievers. You say, that with believers? Is there really a precedence for that? Answer, Yes. Read through Paul's literature, Romans, just begin in Romans. I mean, he says, I wasn't going to read this, but I am, just in case maybe you haven't thought about this. Paul writes to the Roman Christians, he says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. There is precedence for us to share the gospel with professing believers. Because there's only one who knows the heart, and who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you, share the gospel. Share your story. When was the last time, this is a very practical thing to do. Maybe it would be great to do on Father's Day. Where you sit around as a family and say, you know what today we're going to do? We're going to share our testimonies. At least have the fathers or grandfathers do it. We're going to share. I'm going to share with you how I came to know Christ. I mean, how, our, how many of our children know the story of how we came to know Christ or our grandchildren? So there is precedence in the scriptures for sharing the gospel with believers. Obviously also unbelievers. I read a story about Lewis Berry Chafer who was founder of Dallas Seminary. Listen to this story. Dr. Schaefer was walking along the street one day when he encountered a flag man sitting in a little house at a railroad crossing. He noticed that the man was reading a large family Bible. Though a sign on the door said, no admittance, Dr. Schaefer went boldly through the door to greet the man. 
In, re, a repl, in reply to a question from Dr. Schaefer, the man said that he read the Bible a lot. And so Schaefer asked a second question, and he said, um, are you saved? And the answer of the flagman carries the sentiments of many. I could never be good enough to be saved. Dr. Schaefer countered, friend, if God would make an exception of your case and give you salvation outright as a gift, would you receive it? Mister, the flagman replied, I don't know what brand of fool you think I am that I wouldn't take a gift like that. Schaefer asked the flagman to read John 10, 28. Took a man, the man a while to find the passage, but then he read, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Then Schaefer directed him to Romans 6.23 where he read the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The flag man was amazed. He said to Dr. Schaefer, Stranger, I don't know who you are but you've done more for me today than any other man. And that man in the midst of Dr. Schaefer prayed that day to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Guys, the power's in the gospel. It's the responsibility of us to share it. Um, all right. Sharing, finally, sharing the gospel faithfully, that's our responsibility. But we remember the Lord alone is the one who saves. Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the growth. He's the one that causes the growth. But we have the responsibility to faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, D.L. Moody, it was interesting when I found this quote, it was under the heading of evangelism. <laughs> but I thought, man, this is pretty incredible. When a man is filled with the word of God, you cannot keep him still. I like that. If a man has got the word, he must speak or die. In other words, hey, fill up, right? It's like going to that gas station, you got to fill up your tank, Hey, fill up every day with the Word of God, and God will provide those opportunities for all of us to share the gospel. The last thing he says to him is cross the finish line. Complete your service for the Lord. That's what he's telling Timothy. Look what he says. Fulfill your ministry. Complete the ministry that the Lord has given you. And this is an important thing to note, and I want to read it to you uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says about ministry. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Now listen to this. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, into ministry. Who's the one that puts in, us into ministry? The Lord does. He does. What a great reminder. There's another great reminder about this particular section from Kenneth Wiest. He says, the church, all the church, is called to a lifetime of ministry. You believe that? You believe that? Are you on board with that? Have you said, yes, Lord, lifetime of ministry? There is no retirement from ministry. You say, hold on a second, Pat. You have people that retire from the pastorate or from being a missionary. Yeah, but that's just professional, right? The reality is all of us are called to the ministry for a lifetime. Paul said it uh, pretty well um, to us in Acts chapter 20 in verse uh, 24 about that mindset he says i do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that's the first thing it can't be in our lives 
Lord, you know, you need to jump on board to what I want to do. Paul says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and what the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. How long is one called to serve? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that for you? There's an interesting story I read about Charles Simeon who was a pastor in the late 18th century and early 19th century. He pastored Trinity Church in Cambridge, England for 49 years. And he was asked one day how he had survived the suffering that came along with the ministry. And he said, my dear brother, we must not mind a bit of suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm going through a tight spot and my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pain that may come to my legs. Let us remember that the Lord has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently, and we will soon be partakers of his victory. When Simeon was approximately 60, he made the decision to retire. He went to Scotland for what he thought was his last time. His voice wasn't well. He was exhausted from a life of ministry. But while he was there, listen to this, he was moved by the Spirit not to rest from his labor. <laughs> How do you like that, right? He was moved by the Spirit not to rest from his labor, but to recommit himself to the pulpit ministry the Lord had given him. And you know what? He preached for 17 more years. You say, oh, what a big difference did that make? Well, let me tell you. One of the people influenced by Simeon was Henry Martin. You heard of Henry Martin, a young man who went to India and served for a few years before dying at the age of 32 with a fever. Simeon was open to the Spirit's leading and he preached for 17 more years. What would have come of Henry Martin without that 17 more years? I don't know. But I know this that the Lord has called all of us in this room to a lifetime of ministry. Simeon had to retire, kind of, two months before he died because he was so ill. He spent his life serving the Lord. And that's what we find in this passage in 2 Timothy 4. Paul spent a life serving the Lord and he's encouraging his brother to stay the course. He says to him, you have a clear mind, you persevere to the end. You do hard work as an evangelist, as a minister of the gospel. And you complete what the Lord has given you to do. Let's pray together. Lord, I wonder sometimes if, um, if we're all the way open to you. I think that Life's so busy with doing a lot of things that we want to do that we might be, I don't know, we might be missing out on some things that you want us to do. For every father in here, it's a great challenge to, to take these words and to think that my responsibility as a spiritual father is to have a clear mind and 
Lord, to, to endure through the hardships of life and to share the gospel and to complete the ministry. But Lord, if we do that, imagine if we are committed to that faithful road, the difference it could make in the lives of children and grandchildren that we love so much. So I pray you'd help us to stay on course. Help us to follow the examples that we have in the life of Paul and others who finished well, who ran the race with you in their minds at the finish line. Lord, we're not running to some tape. We're running to you. So I pray that you would help us to run faithfully and help us, Lord, by your Spirit to serve you well to the end. And all this I pray in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. This morning we want to end the service a little bit different um, today. Uh, one of our own, Liberty, Andrew Detsky, is going to West Point. I believe she's leaving Wednesday, is that correct? And I had one of uh, our veterans call me this week and said, that. I think it would be great to kind of close the service just praying for her and her journey that's ahead of her, the road that God's put her on. And so I'm going to ask that um, Liberty and the rest of the family come up and um, y'all can just remain down front. And then um, if I could have all the veterans, do this a little bit different. If you're a veteran, have all the veterans come up here and just stand with Liberty. This is Liberty, by the way. It took me a while, I promise. Um, but we're thankful for them and their presence here. And this is exciting. Um, Michael went to West Point, and now his daughter's going to West Point. And um, so we certainly uh, want to support them as a church. And one of the ways I believe we can do that is through prayer. And uh, we want to pray for them uh, this morning, pray for their journey as they go. And obviously when you're dropping off a child, there's a little emotion there. And uh, so we want to pray uh, for Michael and Nina and the family and um, just for God's protection in her life as uh, he has this path for her. And so I'm going to ask that you bow uh, with me. And I'm going to ask Dean Self to come up here. Dean, can you just stand behind this microphone here? And uh, Dean's one of our veterans. And I'm going to ask Dean to pray uh, for us, for them this morning. And then you'll be dismissed when we're done. Okay. Lord, we are so thankful that there are people that's willing uh, to give their lives for their country, but uh, as we've heard today, people that are willing to give their lives for the gospel's sake. And we are so thankful for that opportunity that we had. And we know each one of us as veterans, it was an honor to serve you in, in uh, tough times, in times where you're the only Christian standing and you're standing by yourself alone. Everybody else around you is uh, turned against God. And uh, I pray that you would uh, supernaturally just put your arms around Liberty. Thank you for her witness, uh, in, even in high school and in the way that her family has raised her for, in a godly way. And thank you for all of the uh, uh, ways that uh, you brought along in her life, other Christian uh, Christians to help her encourage her also do that at West Point too that because I know there are Christians there and uh, I pray that you would help Liberty find those people and that she would uh, gain encouragement from them and they would stand together 
alone just for you. And so we as veterans, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you. Thank you for all the blessings. Thank you for this wonderful family that's, that's raised their kids uh, to the honor and glory. And I just think of the verse where it, where it says to you, Liberty, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And he'll do that in West Point and as you go out into your career also. We're thankful for the other veterans that are standing up here that have given, that have written a blank check to the United States of America uh, for their lives. And we're thankful for their service. Thank you for the way you take care of them. Uh, may the Lord bless you, liberty, and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Make sure you come up and speak to Liberty before you go. It was great to see all of you today, and I will hope to see you next week.